Lord, everyone, good to see you tonight. Glad all of you could be here. Brother Milton, it's especially good to see you, sir. We've been praying for you, and I'm glad that you could be with us tonight. Amen. And everyone joining us on live stream, uh, it's great to have you with us tonight as well. I want to make just a few announcements this evening. First of all, I want to remind you this coming Saturday, the 15th, is an election Saturday, so we encourage you to get out and exercise your constitutional right to vote. We also want to remind all of the men that on Saturday, August 22nd, 9 a.m., we will have men's prayer in the A Center, and we encourage all of our men that can, please come with us and join with us in prayer that Saturday. Again, that's the 22nd. And finally, uh, Sunday, August 23rd, is will be our annual She's for Christ offering. Of course, all of the She's for Christ monies that we collect here at Grace Church goes to support our missionaries, and uh, Grace Church always turns up in a big way uh, to support that effort, and we encourage you to be thinking about that. Again, that's going to be Sunday, August 23rd. And as always, you can stay updated with everything that's going on here at Grace Church, um, either on campus or off campus via our church app or by clicking on the events tab on our website. I have uh, been reading in Jeremiah the last, uh, about the last week, and I saw something today that I thought was really interesting, and I want to share that with you. It's, this comes from uh, the book of Jeremiah in chapter 49, and this is where Jeremiah is delivering the word of the Lord and, uh, that came to him in judgment over nations, uh, including uh, Judah, but also some of the heathen nations that had oppressed Judah. I found it really interesting in Jeremiah 49, uh, Jeremiah actually addresses two groups of people, the Ammonites and the Elamites, and it uses language like whale in Heshbon, one of the major cities in Ammon, put on sackcloth and mourn, you will go into exile, cause Ammon an unfaithful daughter. Every one of you will be driven away. That's what it says about Ammon. But then in verse 6, it says, Yet afterward, I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites. Now, the Ammonites were not Hebrews. They were a pagan people. God says, afterward, I will restore their fortunes. A little bit later on in that same chapter, chapter 49, Jeremiah pronounces the Lord's judgment against the Elamites. He uses phrases like, I will break the bow of Elam. In other words, I will destroy their power. I will scatter them to the four winds. I will shatter Elam before their foes. I will bring disaster on them, even my fierce anger. Folks, this is not a good place to be. I don't ever want to be in a position where the Lord is pronouncing a word against me that he's going to bring his fierce anger against me. Not into it. Don't want that. No good. He even said, I will pursue them with the sword until I have made an end of Elam. I will set my throne in Elam and destroy her king and officials. But then, verse 39, it says, yet I will restore the fortunes of Elam in days to come. Now keep that in mind and see if you can spot this passage. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven 
as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites. And the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. Folks, I went the long way around to tell you this. God is merciful. Even against heathen nations like Ammon and Elam, he still extends mercy. He wants to be merciful. He wants to extend mercy to whoever will ask for it. As a matter of fact, this verse in Ephesians says, and you hath he quickened, in other words, made alive. That, that quickened word, is old, that's old time speak for made alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, even whenever we were a part of a rebellious heathen kingdom that was opposed to him, even whenever we were not on his team and not a part of his people, even then he hath quickened us, brought us back to life together in Christ, because by grace ye are saved through faith. Amen. God is merciful. And if you are here tonight, if you are listening and watching tonight, and you say, man, I need mercy. Well, guess what? You're in the right place. You're paying attention to the voice of the right God because he wants to extend mercy to you. Amen. God bless you tonight as Brother Dave comes. Well, greetings, Grace Church. How's everybody doing tonight? Good. Doing better. I like it. Uh, just before our speaker comes, I do want to take care of just a little bit of housekeeping tonight. Um, as you know, we are continuing to evolve in our fight against COVID-19, and sometimes that, that means we have to change our approach just a little bit and, and do some different things. You've seen the signs. You've seen the, the we're going through sanitizing and these things. And um, so we're, we're going to do something different starting this coming Sunday. Um, this section over here to my left and your right will be roped off, and it'll be every other row, and all of the folks that come wearing a mask will be in this section to my left and your right. Now, if you wear a mask, you don't have to sit there, but we are setting that area aside for our mask wearers uh, to, keep, to, to be uh, aware of that and to understand that. And then if you're not wearing a mask, we ask that you not sit in that section. Does that make sense? 
Does that make sense, everybody? So if you're wearing a mask, you'd be welcome to sit over in this section. It'll be every other row. If you're not wearing a mask, please don't sit in that section uh, out of respect. There's, there's health issues. There's other things that we want to be respectful of. Those on live stream and Facebook Live, please make a note of that. If that helps you feel more comfortable coming to church, we want you to do that and be a part of that. So God bless you as you remember that and we continue to, to evolve as, as our fight against COVID evolves. I'm excited about having Brother Mark Wheeler come speak to us tonight. We love Brother Mark and Sister Brianna very much. Mark is our youth minister, and uh, they are doing a tremendous job with our youth group. So would you just clap your hands and make Brother Mark welcome as he comes? Amen. Thank you for that, Grace Church. It's uh, good to be with y'all tonight. Good to see you. For those of you watching online, hello from Grace Church. We're coming to your house, and we're happy to be there. Glad to see you. Um, we're going to jump right into this thing tonight. I think, um, not I think, I know Jesus has spoken some things, and I want to deliver that to you the best possible way and get you out of here at a decent time. So let's, uh, let's first go to God in prayer, and we'll jump right into the word. Jesus, we're so thankful. God, for your love, your mercy, your grace, it's never ending. It's never failing. And we need you tonight. We need you to come and speak to us. God, anoint your word as it goes forth. Touch every heart, touch every mind, every spirit in this room that's watching, that's paying attention, that's tuning in. God, let us be challenged, convicted. Let us grow. God, and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to turn your attention. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to read a couple verses here. I'm going to set some context, and then we're going to get right into this thing. Matthew 12, we'll start at verse 32. If you have a Bible, you can remain seated. You can stand if you like. I'm going to let you be free. Verse 32 says, and whosoever speaketh a word against the son of man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, Speak good things, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So the year is 2020. In a world dominated by memes and ever-changing social media platforms and cramming thoughts into a 280-character tweet, the power of words can sometimes be misunderstood. Take, for example, the rise of slang language. Seems as though every generation has their words that really mean other words that previous generations don't understand and the generations behind them are going to think are too old and outdated to use. Take the 1990s, for example. Any, any 90s kids? Not very many of you in here. A few. Does anybody remember the phrase, all that in a bag of chips? Anybody remember that? Yeah. It's defined as a compliment of sorts, for those of you that don't know. The person or thing described is everything that one could hope for, plus some. What about talk to the hand? Anybody remember that? It's used as a form of rejection or to signify that you're no longer interested in the present conversation. 
Then there's the word fly, not the insect, fly. It's a singular word used to describe something as cool because cool is just one too many letters. And finally, take a chill pill. Anybody remember that? Because telling somebody to calm down is just a little bit too aggressive. And all my millennials, I saw your faces. You cringed. It's all right. Fast forward a few generations, and you get the words and phrases like bet. Yeah? For those of you that don't know what that means, it can be used in the place of a word like okay or yes, and it can be used to respond to a challenge. Give you an example. Hey, we're going to go to dinner tonight. You, you want to come? Oh, bet. I'll be there. Makes sense, right? Cool. I'm glad we're on the same page. What about the word fire? Used to describe something that's really cool or amazing? Like, bruh, that Taco Bell was fire. These are all sentences your young people have said. Take note. Then there's words like shade, which can be used to refer to a situation where someone uses sneaky actions or words towards someone else. It can also be used as a verb, throwing shade, to describe the action of the person who's participated in using their sneaky actions or words. Then, my personal favorite, it's different. This is meant to mean or describe an experience that is better than all others. For example, Mark, that cereal bar hit different. Those of you that were in my car on the way to Youth Congress would know what that means. And you've got words like lit, tea, shook, salty, low-key, flex. None of them mean what you think they mean. They all have different definitions. But one thing is common. No matter how old or how young, no matter the generation or whether the words are understood or not, we can all agree that words have meaning. Words carry weight. And the Bible speaks a good bit about our words. It gives us caution about our words. In Proverbs 16 and 24, it says, Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones. Colossians 4 and 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how, to, how ye ought to answer every man. And in the scripture that we read, in Matthew 12, we see Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. And he takes this opportunity after they accuse him of casting out devils in the name of the devil, because that makes perfect sense. He takes this opportunity to speak to them about their words. And he chooses to address the things that they speak. Now here we see Jesus give a warning to the Pharisees and also to us about the power of our words. He warns that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says, what we say is what we mean. One of the first things Jesus does in this exchange is he removes the excuse of, what well, I didn't mean it. He's like, nah, nope. What you say is what you meant. Because the words that you speak are the final product of what's been materialized in your heart. Whether they realized it or not, the Pharisees said exactly what they meant. And he uses verse 34 of Matthew 
chapter 12 to set up verse 35. And he says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things. Now, Jesus establishes first the principle that what the mouth produces is determined first in the heart. The heart and the mouth are connected. And they work coherently together. And he goes on to say that a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, and we know from the context of the scripture, we can replace with his heart by his words, what he speaks, will bring forth good things. And likewise, an evil man, out of the evil treasure or his words, will speak and bring forth evil things. So Jesus finishes his lesson on words with a very real warning that I think we all need to be reminded of sometimes. In verse 36, he says, But I say unto you that every idle word men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Jesus makes them aware that they are accountable for the words that they speak. And this verse serves as a reminder to us today about how important our words really are. You see, Jesus understood the power of words. He understood the power of what was spoken. And he understood it so well because he designed it. You see, in Genesis 3, in Genesis 1, verse 3, we see Jesus speak for the very first time. Genesis 1 and 3, Jesus speaks for the very first time. And we often brush past this, but I want us to realize what we see here because it will forever shape how we know, approach, and respond to God. We see Genesis, we see Jesus in Genesis 1 and 3 say, let there be light. And we know that once he said that, light happened. What God spoke happened. And it, there was no buffer, there was no delay. He said, let there be light. And everything that needed to, was needed to produce light happened and there was light. What he said happened. And I know we're not surprised by that because we've had the opportunity to read the word of God and we've seen the promises he made and the promises that he kept. But the promise of God that's made later in scripture can't be possible without Genesis 1 and 3 because what Jesus establishes is that he has the power to declare. What he says has to come true. What he says has to happen. Jesus establishes that and shows that for the first time to us in Genesis 1 and 3. And it forever shapes the view of God that we have later on in life and in scripture. But Jesus shows that what he speaks happens. And he proves it multiple times over in the book of Genesis. Jesus speaks and stuff happens. He speaks and stuff happens. He proves that he has the power to declare. The power to speak and things happen just as he speaks it. And he still has that power today. All of creation has no choice but to obey and respond to the voice of God. When he speaks a word, whatever he speaks has to happen. It has no choice. Now fast forward to Genesis 2, and we look, we get to the creation of man. In Genesis 2 and 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now in Genesis 2, we see Jesus create Adam. And in doing so, he does one of the most important things that's happened in Scripture. He breathes into Adam. He breathes into Adam. The same breath that God breathed when he spoke the word into creation, he now breathes into Adam. So now Adam has the very breath of God. 
Adam has the very breath of God. And not only that, every single word that Adam speaks carries the breath of God. And as a result, all of mankind, you and me, our children, we're all given that power to declare, just as Jesus did. It's in Genesis 2, verse 19 and 20, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave the names to all cattle and of the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. And so just as Jesus did in Genesis 1 while he's creating, Adam does in Genesis 2 while he's naming. What Jesus, when he speaks, it happens. What he speaks, it is. So when he looks at a giraffe and he's like, all right, I'm going to call you a giraffe. It has no choice but to be a giraffe. That's what Adam spoke. His breath carries the breath of God. It has to be what that is. He now has the power to declare because he, his breath carries the breath of God. And so do you. If you've repented of your sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, you've received the spirit, the words that you speak carry the breath of God and you have the power to declare. You have the power to speak to things, and they have to respond the way that you spoke it. You have the power to speak to your illness, and it has to respond to what you spoke. And this is why I believe Jesus gives us such serious warnings when it comes to our words. See, Jesus understood that the words we speak could be used for life. We could speak life. He also understood that we could speak death. Because what God speaks life to has no choice but to live. But what God curses to die has no choice but to die. And if you have the power to declare, and if your words carry the breath of God, what you speak life to will live. And what you speak death to will die. And the book of Proverbs sums this up perfectly. And you all know the verse. It says, Proverbs eighteen twenty one: death and life are in the power of the tongue. You see, Jesus understood that the words we speak could ultimately become a prison. He understood that the words we speak could ultimately become a prison. Take the children of Israel, for example. I know you've heard a lot about them in the past few weeks. It's for a reason. They find themselves enslaved by the Egyptians, bound in chains, forced to serve and work for a worldly master. And in Exodus 1.14, it says, And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar, and in breaking in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they were made to serve was with rigor. They didn't have it easy. They were subjected to physical and verbal abuse from their slave masters from generation to generation to generation. Now, they served in bondage for over 400 years. And it's believed that the mentality of an Egyptian slave master was to control the body by controlling the mind. So what they did was they used harsh words and insults, and they belittled the Egyptians to shape how they saw themselves to make them easier to control. So after 400 years of verbal abuse and insults and terrible things said about them, one could imagine that the children of Israel just maybe started to believe what Egypt said about them. The word that Egypt spoke over them became their prison, not their physical chains. Now I want to ask you a question. 
are you Egypt? Are you Egypt? What kind of words are you speaking over others? To their face or behind their back? What are the words that you're sowing into the earth producing? Are they life-giving or are they prison-building? Because you have the power to declare what you say matters. Your voice carries the breath of God. And the words that you speak carry the weight and the breath of God. So when you speak negative words over someone, you brick by brick, word by word, build them into a prison. You slowly put them in the chains. Have we gotten so comfortable with prison building conversation that it's now second nature and we don't even realize when negative words leave our lips? Have we become so holy that we no longer see ourselves in need of the same grace as others? And as a result, we talk down to them and about others because they sin differently than we do. It's okay. I expected it to be quiet. I want to help you, though. I want to help you. I'm giving this to you the way God gave it to me. I'm going to remind you, at the foot of the cross, the foot of the cross, the ground is equally level. See, the Egyptians saw themselves as better, so they looked down and they treated the Israelites worse. Do we see ourselves as better, having it all figured out and perfect? I know our answer may be no, but sometimes our words tell a different story. And sometimes the prisons that we build are not with verbal words spoken from our mouths, but by the words that we type in secret and share on our social media platforms. See, they didn't have Twitter and Instagram and Facebook back in Bible days, but we have it now. And sometimes the words that you don't speak are more powerful. So are we Egypt? Building prisons around people with our harsh words and insults because we perceive ourselves to be different or better or perceive them to be less. If so, that is not the will of God. It is not the will of God, and we need to find a place of repentance. And I'll remind you what God says in Ephesians 4 and 29. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even if God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's what the word says. So what are you speaking? What words are you saying? We all know how the story ends with the children of Israel. Ultimately, God speaks to Moses and he sends him to free his people, which he ultimately does. And they're freed from their physical bondage. It's a mass exodus. They're all rolling out of Egypt, taking what they want. Pretty cool scene to see. But this wouldn't be their ultimate freedom. See, they were free, but they were bound. And I know you're saying, well, Mark, those two things are opposites. They're diametrically opposed. They can't both be true. Either you're free or you're bound, but you can't be both. Not true. Let's take a look at Jacob. I'll show you. 
See, in Genesis, we find Jacob living up to his name, deceiving his brother of his birthright, doing a host of other shady, sketchy things. You see, the name Jacob was spoken over him at birth. He had no choice in the matter. This is why you have to be careful what you speak over your children, because they'll become a product of what you speak over them before they ever have the power to choose. His entire life, he grew up being called a trickster, a deceiver, a liar, a thief. And eventually what you hear becomes who you are. The words that are spoken over you can become a prison, which is why it's so important to monitor what voices you let in your life. But in Genesis 32, find Jacob here in a bit of a situation. In verse 24, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and there he wrestled with a man until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of his Jacob's thigh was out of joint. As he wrestled with him, and he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and he prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. See, Jacob had this experience with an angel, and he got a name change. He's no longer Jacob, but he's now Israel. At this point, he's now free from what was spoken over him since birth. He was now free from the bondage of his name. He was free from the condescending nicknames his friends gave him. Or was he? Because even though he got a new name, it didn't automatically change his behavior. And it didn't wipe away the memory of the past. Because we know at this point that his name has changed to Israel. But in Genesis 49 and 2, it says, gather yourselves together and hear ye, ye sons of Jacob. But I thought his name was Israel. And in the verse it says, and hearken unto Israel your father. So is he Jacob or is he Israel? Which one is it? If you've read any of Genesis after chapter 32, you're going to see a whole lot of Jacob. But I thought his name was Israel, right? If you change my name to Jamal, you probably shouldn't call me Mark anymore, right? But I believe that Jacob walked in the freedom of the blessing of a new name, but always lived with the change that connected him to his past. He was free, but bound. See, we see in scripture that he was always somewhere between Jacob and Israel. Never fully free, but never fully bound. To be free implies that you were once bound. There can be no freedom if there is no bondage. See, I believe that Jacob was physically free, but mentally bound. Never able to fully move on from the mistakes of the past. It's physically free, mentally bound. And this is where some of us live. Trapped in a prison, built with words. Having the appearance of freedom, but bound to our past. Free of chains physically, but locked in a prison mentally. Living somewhere between Jacob and Israel. Never fully, knowing, never fully knowing who we are. 
You see, freedom is ultimately a choice. And the choice is up to us. And the way that we decide is by choosing what words we listen to. Jacob had a choice in who he was. Once he was called Israel, he chose to be called Jacob. So what do you listen to? Do you listen to the words of the oppressor or the words of the father and creator? Do you listen to the words of the world or the words of the one who formed the world? And for those of us that like to use the excuse, well, Jesus isn't speaking to me. I can't hear him. I've been there. Guilty. Not perfect. Sorry to disappoint you. But if Jesus isn't speaking to you, sorry, he is because he gave you a word. And sometimes we just fail to crack this thing open and read it. And we fail to digest this and make this the fabric of who we are. See, even if Jesus never speaks another audible word, he said enough. This is where we struggle. And you have a choice today. To choose the words of freedom or to choose the words of bondage. And the children of Israel had that same choice. You see, God worked the miraculous. He set his people free, broke the physical chains of their bondage. They walked free from Egypt, this mass exodus. But just because they were physically free doesn't mean that they were mentally free. See, there's a difference between coming out of what God brought you from and walking into what he has for you. There's a difference. God didn't just want to free his people. He wanted to advance his people. He wanted to move them forward from where they were. And there were moments in the journey that they longed for Egypt. They got so comfortable in their normal coop that when they faced adversity and difficulty, they longed for Egypt. They longed for their chains. They longed for the prison. They were free from bondage. They weren't in chains by Egypt anymore. But they were still in prison mentally by the reproach of Egypt. Though they were physically free, the insults and the harsh words that Egypt spoke over them through generations of enslavement became their prison, even though they had no more physical chains. God set his people free. And while they were in a free place, they chose to live and walk in a free place while maintaining the reproach of Egypt. They made the decision that even though we don't have chains, even though we're free, I will choose to live with the reproach of Egypt. They chose to continue to live with the words that Egypt said about them. Even though they were phys physically free, their minds were still imprisoned by words. You see, reproach is external until we agree with it. What they say about you is external until you agree with it. And ultimately, it cost this generation. See, their prison mentality affected everything that they did. It affected their attitude, their relationship with their spiritual leader. They had some knockdown dragouts with Moses over some kind of petty stuff. 
And it cost this generation. It affected who they were, who they believed God was, and what they believed God could do. It affected their attitude and their relationships with their fellow brother. Their prison mentality cost them 40 years of wandering in a wilderness and an entire generation that had to die because they chose to live with the reproach of Egypt. They never got over the words that Egypt spoke over them. They could never move past the thing that the slave master said. They never tore down the prison walls of Egypt. What words are you choosing to hang on to? What are you deciding to keep locked away up here? See, the reproach of your past, your pain, your hurt will allow things that are unworthy to rob you of opportunity. See, the children of Israel could have possessed the promised land 40 years earlier, but they were stuck mentally in Egypt. 40 years. See, and if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will leave up prison walls built by the words of the enemy that were meant to be torn down when God sets us free, and it will affect our attitude, our relationships, and the way that we view God. But God wants to set us free today. Free from what the enemy spoke over you. From the words that the enemy spoke over you. God wants to destroy the prison in your mind that you're trapped in. He doesn't just want to set you free physically. He wants to set you free mentally. So how are prisons destroyed? First, they're destroyed by the presence of God. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom in the presence of God. If you're stuck, if you're trapped in a prison mentally, get into the presence of God. See, in the presence of God, strongholds are broken. Minds are healed. Prison walls are torn down. And lucky for us, the presence of God is not a place. You can't pinpoint it on a map. You can't tell somebody where it is. The presence of God can be wherever you need it to be. It's as close as the mention of a name. So are you struggling with the words that the enemy spoke over you? Get into the presence of God. Hear his voice. Let God speak to you. See, in John eight thirty six, it says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Psalm 119.45, it says, and I will walk in, the li in liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Second way, prisons are destroyed. Renewed covenant. Renewed covenant. See, in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua chapter 5, and we're coming to a close, landing gears out. Joshua chapter 5, the children of Israel have just crossed over the Jordan River. Just crossed the Jordan, and Jesus does the miraculous again, waters are parted. They carry the ark through and they go through on dry land. They're walking into the promised land. They're standing on the doorway of the promised land. Now, this is the moment that the chosen people of God have dreamed about for over 400 years. 400 years. They endured slavery with the hope that the promised land was coming. Hard day of work. They would tell their kids, it's going to be okay because one day, one day we're going to cross the Jordan and we'll be in the promised land. And they're at the doorstep of the promised land. But Jesus instructs them to do something first. And at the doorway of the 400-year promise, Jesus tells Joshua, 
and the people turn aside. If I'm Joshua, I'm like, all right, Jesus, I'm going to turn aside, but once I get in the promised land, I'll turn aside. We're going to, you know, 400 years, I'm going to go ahead and get in there first. Like, let's, let's finish this thing up, and then we'll turn aside. But Jesus is like, no. Before you get into the promised land, turn aside. And while they're stopped, Jesus instructs Joshua to recircumcise the children of Israel. We know that Old Testament circumcision was a sign of the covenant. So he does this to bring his people back into covenant. Jesus tells Joshua, recircumcise the children of Israel, because this is a brand new generation. Bring them into covenant. Bring them back into the promise. And once Joshua follows the instructions, we get Joshua 5, verse 9. And this is the game changer. And the Lord said unto Joshua, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt off of you. See, before they could get into the promised land, Jesus needed to deal with the Egypt that was still in his people. Yes, he freed them. They weren't physically in Egypt anymore, but Egypt was still in them. Jesus tells them to turn aside and he brings them back into covenant. And once they're in covenant, he says, this day will I roll away the reproach of Egypt off of you. He didn't want any of Egypt in the promised land. The place of the future, the place of prosperity. He didn't want any memory of Egypt in the promised land. But though they were freed from bondage generations ago, generations ago, they were not fully free until the reproach of Egypt was lifted. And on the doorstep of the promised land, Jesus rolls away the reproach of Egypt. He gives them their freedom. They were free when they stopped listening to the voices of their oppressors. They were free when they stopped listening to the voices of the enemy. They renewed covenant with God. They reestablished relationship. And God destroyed the prison that, the, that was built with the words of the Egyptians. Some of us are living with the reproach of our past. We're living with the reproach of our pain. We're living with the reproach of our hurt, the reproach of that failed relationship, the reproach of our sin. And though it looks like we might be free physically, the words of our failure still haunt us in our minds. And we're stuck living with the pain of the past. See, when the pain of the past exists in the present, it pulls us to conform to the past and never gives us the opportunity to push forward to something new in the future. And we find ourselves locked in a prison built with words. We find ourselves locked and bound mentally by our circumstances. But God is leading us tonight to destroy the prison. To come back into covenant. Get back in the promise. He's calling us back to himself. Where he's waiting and willing to remove the reproach of our issues. So are you trapped in a prison built with words? Are you bound by what the enemy spoke over you? By what they said about you? By what the world spoke over you. 
I want you to understand the spirit of the Lord is speaking over you tonight. The reproach of the enemy, the reproach of the world, the reproach of those friends, those family members is rolled off of you. Jesus is saying, be free from what they said about you. It doesn't carry weight anymore. Be bound no more. Tear down the prison walls of the harsh words. Tear down the prison walls of the insults. I want to leave you with one scripture and then we'll pray. Colossians 1, verse 21 through 22. It says, in you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. See, Jesus understood that the reproach of Egypt would come. He knew what they would say about you. He knew the words that they would speak over you. And he was willing to take the words for you. To take the words for you so that you could come to a moment in your life and realize and hear Jesus say, this day, the reproach of your enemy is rolled away from you. This day, the reproach of that failed relationship is rolled away from you. This day, the reproach of what they said about you is rolled away from you. You have the opportunity to be free. If you're trapped mentally, if you're struggling, if the words that they said about you are locked in your head, God is willing to roll the reproach away. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful. God, that you are willing to meet us where we are and that you are willing to take the words that they said about us and roll them away. God, we don't have to be bound mentally by what the enemy, by what the world, by what our oppressor said. We don't have to be bound mentally. God, but you are offering us freedom today. God, to be free of the words, to be free of the harsh insults, to be free over what was spoken over us. God, and we accept that freedom today. Roll the reproach of Egypt, roll the reproach of the enemy away from us today. And help us, God, to not be Egypt. Lord, filter what we say. Let us be the voice of heaven. Let us be the voice of life. God, speak to and be with your people. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Grace Church. We'll see you Sunday.